guys, welcome to the eighth week of Ruth. And I know y'all think that uh, I couldn't get 10 weeks of lessons out of it, but I did. So anyway, <laughs> our our uh, lesson today is, is entitled by someone I don't know, Eagerly Handling the Affairs at Hand. But before we get started, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us here today. I thank you for Betsy and and filming all of this and doing all this hard work. And I just ask that you would bless this time, Lord, that you would use it mightily, that it would be um, just used for your glory, Lord, and, and that these words would come forth and that uh, you would speak through me, empty me of me, and you would speak to, through me, Lord, and to others, and that we might be a changed people and just to be a, an aroma of you wherever we are. And Lord, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us, for Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today we're doing Ruth, chapter 3, 17 through, 7, excuse me, through 18. And we'll start out by reading it. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am Ruth, your ser I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me a shawl you are wearing and, and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for this man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is God's holy word. Ruth carries out Naomi's plan in perfect detail, motivated by her deep, trusting relationship and her mother-in-law. What she saw in Naomi was Jesus, and it built her trust. We are told in our verses for today how Ruth accomplished this task and how Boaz received her overtures. Boaz is shown quietly handling the situation like a gentleman with both dignity and restraint. It was evidence that Naomi had had complete confidence in Boaz's integrity. She believed that he could be trusted to act responsibly, and she knew Ruth to be a woman of noble character as well. Ruth goes to the threshing floor and takes up her position as instructed. She remained unnoticed 
yet observed Boaz from the shadows, waiting for him to retire. It was harvest time, and therefore it was a time of feasting and celebration and enjoyment. Nothing like the ending of one's hard labor. Isaiah tells us, You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the great harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder in Isaiah 9.3. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking with his workmen, he was in good spirits. The words literally meaning he had a happy heart. I remember when my little grandson, Rye, used to go around saying, Happy heart, happy heart, happy heart. I believe God delights in this for all of his children. As at the bottom of a happy heart is trust. You can't be a happy-hearted person if you're in fear. He goes to lie down so early that by midnight he had his first sleep. He was sound asleep. I'm reminded of the following verses in Scripture. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. In Ecclesiastes 5.12. And in Psalm 127.2, it tells us, For he grants sleep to those he loves. Boaz retires at the end of the heap of corn, having his bed or couch laid at the far end of the grain pile. He was not a fancy-schmancy kind of guy and could make his bed in a barn if he need be and sleep contentedly in the straw. Quietly, so as not to be heard, Ruth approaches and uncovers his feet. The uncovering of the feet was a ceremonial act which was completely proper. More than likely, the scene took place in the dark so that Boaz would have had the opportunity to reject the proposal without the whole town's awareness of it, if he so chose. She then lays down at his feet, waiting expectantly, wondering how he would react. Can you only imagine the fear she was thinking? Oh, what's he going to do? Is he going to say yes or no? Or what is he going to do? The impression left is that Boaz slept for some time before discovering Ruth. Don't you know she was wondering that whole time that when, when are you going to wake up and get a feather and tickle the bottom of his feet? Startled by something, obviously, God, <clears throat> at midnight quite literally means to tremble. His feet could have possibly been cold from being uncovered and he trembled. Whatever it was, it abruptly woke him up. He wakes to discover a woman at his feet. How odd. This startling that takes place reminds me of Peter when he was in prison, fast asleep in shackles, and the angel had to wake him up for his miraculous escape. All the while, he's thinking he's dreaming. Peter is. It says in Acts 12, 5-9, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, two of them, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. He was protected to keep from getting him escaping. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your clothes around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. 
Boaz asks the identity of this unusual guest. Ruth responds in humility, taking a lowly place as before, not wishing to take anything for granted. Humility, what a great prize it is. Telling him her name and then her errand. I am your servant, Ruth. She had placed herself under the wings of Yahweh, 2.12. And that, uh, it says in Ruth 2.12. And now she asked to be put under the wings of Boaz. In the phrase, the corner of your garment, the word rendered corner is literally translated wing in 2.12. She used a poetic phrase that had its source in the blessing that Boaz himself had given to her prior. This expressive metaphor is used similarly for taking in marriage to Ezekiel. Later, and this is Ezekiel 16.8, Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. God's saying this. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. The spreading of the garment over a widow was a way of claiming her as a wife, as a wife is attested to among the Arabs of early days and still exists among some modern Arabs. Ruth came to put herself under Boaz's protection as the person appointed by the divine law to be her protector. Remember now, widows and uh, were very, they were right up there with orphans. They couldn't get jobs and, and they needed to be married. It was as if he were saying, you are the one who has the right to redeem. It's as if she were saying, you are the one who has the right to redeem um, me from this situation. She put herself under his protection. Um, she says, to redeem a family and an estate from perishing, and therefore take this situation under your control and spread the corner of your garment over me. Be pleased to espouse me and my cause. All of that action was mean, was wrapped up in that meaning. She wanted him to come and redeem the family that she had been married into and, and take that situation under his control. And she did that. He wanted, but the, the uh, process of that was for her, him to put the corner of the garment over her. A Moabitess widow was calling attention of a noted Hebrew to his responsibility, all through Naomi, of course. He could now follow through with his own benediction by becoming Ruth's kinsman redeemer and providing her with security of marriage. Ruth's proposal was joyfully received, certainly to Ruth's great relief. She is not long left in doubt. Boaz gave no hint that Ruth had embarrassed him by her actions or that she had done something that was not within her rights or against the customs of the day. He knew her demand was just as well as honorable, and he treats her accordingly. He also knew it was not sinful lust which brought her there and bravely maintained both her honor and his own. Rather than thinking suggestive thoughts, as some might have done in such a setting, Boaz immediately blessed Ruth. The Lord bless you, again using the phrase, my daughter, 
alluding to their age difference. He commended her for her acts of kindness and loyalty, that she was even greater than her decision to serve her mother-in-law. He also commends her for not going after a younger man. He seemed to believe that Ruth could have readily found such a match. He praised her for being willing to marry an older man in order to fulfill her commitment to her first husband, Malon, and the family name of Elimelech. It certainly would have been easy for Ruth to have neglected those responsibilities. She's not a Jew. She is a Moabite. Certainly her sister-in-law Orpah did. It surely was not easy to leave her own country, to come along with her mother-in-law to a foreign land to dwell with customs she was unsure of, food she didn't understand, all of the, all of the above, and knowing she was going into dire poverty. And she went, she chose to go and help her and maintain her. For this, Boaz had already blessed her, as he had stated earlier in Ruth. When we see in Ruth 2, 11 through 12, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you've left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you. For what you have done, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Yet now Boaz states that this kindness shown is even greater in that she did not consider her own desires, but her husband's family in marrying again. It is never wrong, never wrong to do the right thing. Never Perhaps sensing her apprehension over how he might interpret her bold proposal, Boaz relieves any fears Ruth might have had by saying that he would do as she requested. He does not want to leave her in doubt. He promised her marriage, and he would not slight her or expose her. He followed his comforting words with a stellar commendation. The words rendered all my fellow townsmen, all of them literally mean the people of the gate, which would be the elders of Bethlehem, which are the top dogs of the city, the highest standing men, all consider her a woman of noble character. Her reputation spread. Noble is a military term, which translates valor, worth, ability, and it's the same word used to Boaz in 2-1, which translated to a man of standing. She need not fear that her Moabite origins, or anything else for that matter, would be used against her. Her virtue was known. And it's so important, y'all, to, to um, let, your, let your life be an exemplary to other people, not your, just your words, how you behave. And a lot of people want us to shoot peg us and put us in these things of their own making of what, oh, well, you're this way because you're this way or whatever. But be a Christian. If you're a Christian, be a Christian and be known by that. Be known by that. Her virtue was known, and that would prove sufficient. They appear to be a perfect match made in heaven. We discussed the traits of noble character last week and their rare value. I composed a list of these traits and, and added more from what I've gleaned from Proverbs, which discusses a wife of noble character, but it also can be applied to all people. God desires for all of us to be a people of noble character. Male, female, married, single, rich, poor, whatever. 
A wife of noble character, Proverbs tells us, is her husband's crown in Proverbs 12, 4. A wife of noble character, who can find? I mean, they are rare. She is worth far more than rubies. Proverbs 31, 29, many women do noble things, but you, you surpass them all. In all actuality, nobility is the relinquishment of our wills for the life of Christ to be magnificently fleshed out through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. It's an emptying of self, a filling of him, so that we leave the aroma of Christ in our every situation. It is walking as Jesus walked. I'm reminded of John's words in 1 John. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Do you claim to be a Christian? Then you are called to walk as Jesus walked. On a side note, tell them where the word snob came from. Okay, I have that written down. Tell them where the word as I read it. Uh, a long time ago in Cambridge, to get into Cambridge, you had to, um, they only let nobility into Cambridge. But they did start letting some in, and on the applications, you had to check whether you were nobility or sans nobility, without nobility. And that without nobility, that sans nobility, derived the word snob. So I think that all snobs are without nobility. <laughs> <laughs> the tension remains, though, as the plot continues to thicken. Another complication still needed to be unraveled. There was another kinsman redeemer who had the first right of refusal, so to speak, and Boaz was aware of this. It was true that Boaz was a kinsman redeemer, but he goes on to point out that there was a man nearer of kin, <clears throat> more than he, more than likely he had already done all of his homework on this. This passage shows that redeeming was not open for just anyone in the family. It was a due and just order for it. This next of kin had the privilege and responsibility, and only if he declined was it um, possible and necessary for another member of the family to take his place. Yet Boaz would do all that he could to see that the outcome would be one that satisfied Ruth's request. If he could only make a conditional promise for himself because of this and could not do otherwise. He would propose it to the other kinsmen and discover his intentions. If the other kinsman refused to do his part, he would certainly do it. He would marry the widow, redeem the land, and restore the family. Redeeming was a family responsibility. Boaz wants to leave no doubt in Ruth's mind about his determination of this matter. To sum up, Boaz, instead of touching her immorally, blesses her as a father. Encourage her as, encourages her as a friend and promises her as a kinsman, rewards her as a patron, and sends her away laden with hopes and with gifts, no less pure and so much more happy than she came. Do people leave your presence 
happy that they were there with you? Do they leave your, your presence filled because you've given them something of Jesus? This is what he did. Every encounter we have should be as such, leaving the realm of Christ and the riches of Christ. Paul, even Paul and Peter, or Peter, I think it was Peter and John, uh, when they when the the beggar came and he was they wanted the beggar wanted him to be healed and and Peter says gold I don't have but this I can I can do get up and walk and he gets up and walk he left that beggar's presence that beggar was leaping and dancing because of Jesus because of what Jesus did through Peter Boaz acts responsibly in that he tells her to stay. Put for the night. He didn't want her wandering around in the, in the nighttime. There was no point in her going elsewhere during the hours of darkness. And she would be quite safe where she was. He promised action in the morning. It reminds me of the scripture, Weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 35. Always it's darkest before the dawn. Amen. In doing this, Boaz also protected the rights of her nearer kinsman redeemer. Ruth resumed her place at Boaz's feet. I am confident, slept like a baby until morning, arising prior to daylight in great anticipation of what that day was going to bring. While what Ruth had done conformed to the customs of the day as Boaz was, had needed no explanation in understanding her actions and what she meant by them, there remained obvious reasons why it should not be widely published that Ruth had slept there that night. He was guarded of her, her reputation. Boaz did not want her life complicated by vi village gossips. So he urges her not to let it be known that she had been at the threshing floor. While nothing improper had occurred, gossips tend not to be careful with the facts. Amen? They make up, they just have a little bit of truth and they, just like Satan, twist the truth with lies. He arrange, or just innuendos where he makes the other person think that something else happened. He arranges for Ruth to return very early to keep her from being recognized. Boaz also had a sense of rightness about things and did not regard it as proper that his prospective bride should return from her night's adventures empty-handed. This would be very acceptable to her mother-in-law at home and evidence of her, for her that he had not sent her away in dislike, which Naomi might have thought if she had come back empty-handed. If she had suspected that Ruth had, had come back that way. He tells her to fetch her cloak or her shawl and hold it out, and he places six measures of barley for she and Naomi. The measure was more like a sia which was about 10 pounds, so 60 pounds now she's got. Thus, the gift would weigh that, and it was obviously a large load as Boaz had to place it on Ruth to help her balance it properly, and more than likely, she carried it on her head for her travel back to Bethlehem to balance it. So reminds me of Jesus who comes to overflow our cups. He doesn't give a piddling. He overflows. He goes over exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. His gift demonstrated that he would not forget about Naomi either. She was part of the package, and he was saying, I know this. Interestingly, the word empty in verse 17 is used here as it was in 121 when Naomi spoke of being brought home empty. I, came, I went out full, I came back empty. 
and now her empty days were nearing an end. The winds were changing. Naomi eagerly sought to know the outcome of the adventure when Ruth arrived laden with grain. Can you only imagine the two women talking? Oh, can you imagine? This happened, this happened, this happened. It was in the excitement and the fervor and just, oh, she was so excited. She eagerly sought to know what about the adventures, and especially when she came back laden with a grain. She predicted that Boaz would quickly resolve the issue that day. Whatever the outcome, it would be Ruth's day of redemption. Therefore, Ruth should be satisfied, assuring her that Boaz would prove himself a faithful and a careful friend, not resting until the matter was totally settled. Much like the description of our God in Deuteronomy, he is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for... For Boaz's and Ruth's and Naomi's just demonstration of you, Lord, we just are grateful. We're grateful to have this holy written scripture down so that we can we can take it and apply it to our lives, Lord, and be changed. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, use this in our lives for, for your glory and for our good and, and just uh, be with us all today as we go about our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.